This is episode 81 of the Kindred Mom podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Hi there, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Kindred Mom podcast. We are nearing the end of the Ages and Stages series that we've been featuring on Kindred Mom for the last couple of months. And this conversation is a really good summation of what I feel like is some of my top priorities as a mother. I am talking with my friend Lindsay Cornett and our guest, Lee Nienheis, who is the author of Countercultural Parenting. And this episode is all about investing in our children's spiritual growth at each stage of their development, something that is a constant thing on my mind as I am parenting my children. And I just think that there is a lot in this conversation that is practical and you can invest in your own children's lives in a way that um, is unique to you. And I love that there's not just a one size fits all way to approach this, but I hope that this conversation uh, just really gives you insight and some new ideas as to how you might do that in your own home. I'd also love to invite you over to kindredmom.com to check out more of this series and subscribe to our email newsletter because I would love to stay in touch with you. We've been sending out a newsletter digest about once a week with what you can find on kindermop.com and what you might have missed from the previous week or two. And we've also been curating links that we think will be really helpful to you in this stage of parenting. So catch us over there and we will be sending out some really exciting announcements in the next couple of months. So I don't want you to miss those. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Well, today we have Lee Nienheis with us, and Lindsay Cornett is here with me to just ask you some questions as we're in the middle of the Ages and Stages series. Um, this episode is specifically about spiritual growth at every stage of development, and so I'd love to just welcome you and have you tell us a little bit about you and your family and kind of the season of parenting that you're in right now. Well, it's so good to be with you, Lindsay and Emily. It's so fun to see you. Yeah. And I am... I live in West Michigan. My husband, Mike, and I have been married for 20 years and we have four kids. Our oldest is finishing his junior year in high school. And then we have an eighth grader, seventh grader, and a fourth grader. So our youngest is 10. So right now it feels like we are graduating up into the to the next stage of parenting, whatever it is, three teens, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> need therapy stage, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> fun stage. Oh, well, we're so glad to have you. And uh, it's especially great because a lot of the gals on our Kindred Mom team all have kids that are younger than about 12 or 13. And so we're all kind of just here with our open ears, ready to learn and so grateful to have you today. Um, I did want to mention that you have a couple of awesome books and I'd love for you to share the details about the one that you wrote a couple years ago and the one that's coming out really soon. I wrote Brave Moms, Brave Kids four years ago. It came out two years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was all about facing motherhood fear, which I don't know about you guys, but they hand you a baby and all of a sudden you didn't realize that your heart could beat inside your hands. You know, it's yep. just like, here's this child and motherhood is just laced with fear opportunities. Um, opportunities to just trust God in a new way with your child and, oh, and wade through things that you didn't know you were going to wade through. Mm -hmm. So Brave Moms, Brave Kids came out into the world two years ago. And then right now we just launched Countercultural Parenting, which is about building character into the lives of your kids and living in a different way than majority culture is headed right now. 
Yeah. Well, I'm so curious about that premise. Like, what are your observations about the parenting culture that is maybe not serving families the way they think that it is? Well, I I kind of had to coin a term. If we were going to say counterculture, we had to de- decide what culture was like. And so I really think that majority culture is aiming for their kids to be happy, healthy, successful, and proper prosperous, whatever they define that to be. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes power is laced in there too. Mm. And so what I began to realize is that that is not aiming towards that as my goal. Was it going to be ultimately fulfilling what I believe God has for our kids, which is something entirely different. It's living according to a different set of goals and hopes for our children, which for me is is that they would come to know him, love him, and follow him wherever he leads them. And so right away, you can just tell culture's heading in one direction and it says, I'm the boss of me. And countercultural parents are heading into a different direction, which says God is actually the boss of me and mm-hmm. my kids. And so that's where the idea of counterculture comes from. I'm not as you well know, Emily, I'm not the one who's going to be like, I'm swimming the opposite way just because I want to make waves. There are some girls Mm. out there (laughs) who you probably have met too, who like a good fight. I am not (laughs) We're just going to fight cold time just just so we can be scrappy. I am not that girl. It has to be really, really important for me to decide to do things, like go against the grain, shove and push hard. But I really believe, at least in this thing surrounding motherhood, which is getting the real goal in focus, Mm -hmm. that we have to move in the opposite direction of the culture that we live in. I'd love to know, because my children are quite a bit younger than yours. My oldest is six. They're six, four, and three. Um, And Emily's kind of got more of a range than I do. But I'm wondering what you might say to like your younger self or just, you know, say it to me. I need it. Like, what should I be doing? Or like, what would you tell moms to be thinking about and considering and putting in place now in the younger years to sort of set off in, in the right direction when it comes to you know, because I have those goals to, to honor God and pursue his kingdom and help build his kingdom. And I also want my children, you know, to have those same goals as they grow as well. And so kind of in the little years, what did you prioritize or maybe what do you wish you had prioritized when your kiddos were younger? Okay. So I love this question because every preschool mom needs a pep talk. (laughs) <laughs> like, just just tell me what to focus on, you know, because we have all these things that are really important. Like they're developing. Our, your kids, Lindsay, are sponges right now. They are taking in the world, taking in the world, and they're trying to decide what is important. And the way that they figure out what is important is by looking to you as their mom. So you're really at this stage modeling to them what is important. So in matters of faith areas and in matters of character, you're going to model, there is God. He loves you and love is really important. We're going to also, this is a great time to start talking to them about the truth. Like 
Lindsay, you do not have to teach your kids to be liars. They're going to come up with that on (laughs) their own. They figured that out pretty early on somehow. And so that's just like, we're, I don't think that they begin to really understand sin completely until the next stage, like right around six years old or so they start to explore. I am a sinner. I know I'm doing wrong things, but they do know they're doing right and wrong when they're in those little years. And so we want to kind of explore that with them right now in this stage. You just want to talk, talk, talk about faith all the time. And turn your faith inside out so that they can see when you're thinking about God, you need to let your lips say that. Like, look outside. Isn't it so beautiful today? God did this. He gave us this day. And so we're going to just start to revere him in the things that we say. Um, I have this this great story. My son, Ryan, was seven years old. And um, I said to him, get your shoes on and get in the car. And he was like... I can't. And I said, what do you mean you can't? And he goes, I don't know how to tie my shoes. And I was like, you're seven. What is wrong? And he said, two words, Velcro. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we just, he had never learned to tie his shoes because I either did that for him or he had been wearing Velcro shoes. It wasn't that I had wanted to miss that. It's just that, you know, somebody was doing it. We were always in a hurry. And so I think this is a time where we're just going to find through their whole lives, we're going to be talk, talk, talking about how to do things. And that is the most important thing that you can do right now is just look for those little opportunities to teach them and know there's going to be things missing. And at seven years old, you're going to sweep it up and go, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell him that you know, in the old Testament, God's children were called the Israelites. You know, it's going to be those moments, but Right now, you're just teaching them there is a God, and He intends for you to obey Him, and He loves you. Yeah, I just love that you have kind of hit on the idea that there isn't an actual formula, that we should be checking these boxes off and make sure that we get an A on this test, that it really is more about the engagement and the conversations with our kids and involving them in the things we think about. Because I think there's a lot of things we think about that we either think that they're not interested in, or we're just not necessarily sharing it in a way that they can participate in that with us. And I'm just curious if you have any other tips for the different stages of development. You're already referencing the the preschool years. Um, What do you see as the the major shift points for kids as they're growing? Well, I think zero to three, it's that, that little bitty stage where you just need to teach them that they're loved by you and, mm-hmm. and really focus on that. Focus on that there is a God and he loves them. And as you talk about that casually, I think they get that idea. Four to five, they start to receive teaching mm-hmm. and really process Like you can verbally process teaching with them in a way that you can't when they're zero to three, right? So now mm-hmm. we're telling them why we're doing some of the things that we're doing. So this is a time where they figure out four to five and then really six to 11 is elementary age, right? Mm-hmm. Elementary, late age. They start to figure out that their mouth is used for a purpose. So they can hurt people with their words and um, they can learn good words and bad words. What builds 
people up that they're going to be held accountable for their words. And so I'm sure you've experienced this, Emily, but I'm like, you're not allowed to say that to me. And it's, (laughs) they look just as shocked that they have said something that was wrong (laughs) as I was shocked that it come out of their mouth. It's like they're trying on their behaviors, right? Right. Panic aside for when they say their first swear word or something like that, um, they usually don't mean it like we think they do. They're just trying on their words. And so we need to teach them that their speech is used to honor other people, that they, mm-hmm. it needs to be trustworthy. It needs to be thankful. Um, we need to, at this really little age, probably around four or five, teach them how to really apologize and mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're going to be hurting people, you know? And so that's, um, they admit that somebody else was hurt besides them and they have an awareness of that. They can see that they need to watch mom respond to that, say that over their siblings and that kind of thing when they hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is also an important time when we're talking about God and what he is, how, what he offers. And so in scripture, there are hundreds of names for God. You know, like he is our peace. He is our comforter. He is our teacher. And so this is a great time to start unpacking those with your kids. What does it mean that he's their savior in Jesus? Mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean that he has peace available to him? And the Bible says that he gives peace that passes understanding. Well, that means that when our kids are stressed out or anxious about a test or that he is the one that they can pray to. And so prayer becomes a bigger focus at this age too, right? Like we're teaching them, when is it appropriate to pray? I think, where do we turn when things get hard? This is the time in elementary school where uh, they're not going to like each other all the time. Kids are going to be mean. They're going to get their feelings hurt. What are they going to do and how are they going to behave when those things happen? So those are the kinds of things when they're in elementary school that we're going to kind of start to aim towards is, Mm -hmm. is helping them answer those questions. Where do you turn when you don't know what to do or when you feel hurt? Yeah. I love so many of the things that you said, and you, at the first part of that, you were talking about just them being aware of the power of their words, and because I have a big family, I have seven kids, and they're all different ages and very different temperaments, we also talk about the importance of just their attitude, and even if they're not saying anything, just the way they carry themselves into a room, how they ask for something, the tone of their voice, and really explain, and, I, and I've been going through this with my older son, that he's 12 and he's just really beginning to look at what does respect actually look like. And there are times that he is disrespectful to me and I truthfully don't know that he understands how disrespectful it is. And so knowing that he doesn't actually know that, it's been really helpful for me to point out, all right, I'm not going to get upset right now. I'm just going to show you kind of with a mirror held up that this behavior is not going to work. You know, we're going to have to work together at you learning how to communicate what you need to say without it becoming such a big deal. (laughs) Yesterday, we had a conversation with my 10-year-old and he had just said something that was disrespectful. Yeah. And I said to him, I do not like the way you just talked to me. And he said, well, I don't like the way you talk to me all the time. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) right. And I mean, there's fairness in there too, right? Yeah, but we have is. to teach them 
especially at this age, there is an order of authority and God put it into being. And so there's a difference between you liking it and me liking it. And it's (laughs) because God made me the boss, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this is one of those huge things where, like you said, I don't think he had any idea, but I laughed out loud for a long time. And then I pulled it together because I was like, oh, this is a teaching moment. I should be doing my part. And we talk about that in terms of responsibility, because I I Mm. tell my kids, I have a responsibility to show you the way that you should go, the way that you can honor others, the way that you can make healthy, wise choices and your responsibility right now are these things. But in the future, you will have other responsibilities that will be added on to that as your character grows. So we have the authority conversation in my house quite a bit right now, especially with the four-year-old who's trying to like Lord his, the authority he thinks he has or wants to have over his little sister, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's only 14 months in between them. It's not that big of a gap, but he is like milking it for all it's worth, you know? And I, and I hear him repeat things that like I have said to the kids, you know, and I, we have had that conversation so many times lately, like Leo, like you don't get to say that to Ruthie because you are not her authority. You know, I am your authority. Dad is your authority. You are not your sister's authority. But yeah, we, we have that conversation. And I think when you have multiple children like that, that there's this marching order that happens as they work their way down, they think they get more right to authority. I don't know what it is. Emily, you have seven, I've got four, you know, (laughs) but, and, and, and I think we have to help them do that productively because there is actually some responsibility to being older Mm -hmm. and we need to help them kind of flush out what to, what does that mean that you are actually the older brother? What do you think I'm expecting of you? What do you think God's expecting you? Because he made you the oldest, there's some um, privileges that come with that. Mm-hmm. There's also some disadvantages. Like this is the first time we ever parented somebody, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but there's also responsibilities and that's to protect, mm-hmm. um, to help mom and dad, to make sure that this child is doing things that are safe. I mean, they really become our second set of eyes. So mm-hmm. there's some of that that's reality and good. There's other stuff where it's like, yeah, overstep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's helpful too for kids to first master the art of managing themselves. We talk about this very often at my house because there are a lot of times that the sibling squabbles are around one person is ordering another one around that doesn't have the authority to do it is also not doing the job they should be doing at that moment. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> just the, I want them to experience the the pleasure of doing a job well and having managed themselves and applied themselves to what they have been given as a task without deflecting and saying, oh, well, you need to go and clean up the hallway. You know, even though mom told me to do it. Now I won't say that too loud so mom can hear. So just learning how to take responsibility for themselves. And then once they do that well, then they can be responsible for things like can you watch the baby for a minute while I switch the laundry? And, you know, just very incremental, small steps of having more of a sense of ownership in what's happening in our home and taking, we talk about this too, just uh, what does it look like to care about something? Because you can do a job without caring about it and it will show. (laughs) And uh, so just, I I even say, will you please care about this room right now? (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think that's so good and right. I mean, just age appropriate, again, yeah. stages, zero to five. I mean, really zero to three, you know, they're playing blocks and throwing things and exploring their body. Four to five, we're saying to them, you need to take good care of things so that they last. Mm -hmm. Six to 11, we're saying that you are actually taking care of something that God gave you. And so this is a resource. We want to steward it well. And we want to be diligent to complete our work. We, you know, so we're putting, we're giving them responsibility. We're checking on them to make sure, like I heard somebody say recently, don't assign a task that you're not willing to check on, right. um, especially in this mm. training phase. So if you say, I need you to set the table, then mm -hmm. you need to go down and make sure that the table is set correctly. Or if you say, go upstairs and make your bed, then you need to go upstairs and make sure that their bed got made. And so we're assigning them tasks. We're expecting them to complete them. But my kids are now in teenage years and I need to not just teach them to be diligent and obedient. I also need to teach them, you know, to do, have endurance, to take responsibility and initiative on their own, you know, mm -hmm. so each age and stage where there really are the same bottom line tasks. You know, we want them to be hard workers. We want them to be diligent. All those end goals that we have in mind for what we want them to be as functioning adults. We're just taking those backwards and rate, you know, just kind of pulling them through all those ages and stages. Absolutely. I would like to circle back to the idea of fear for a minute. Kind of at the very beginning, you mentioned it. And Fear is something that I have like struggled with throughout my life in a whole variety of arenas, you know? And I think as I talk to a lot of mom friends, I think a lot of us grow afraid. You know, we see the negative aspects of technology or, you know, social media and all of those things, or we just see like evidence of the sin in our kids' lives or we see the bad choices that they've made. And it's easy for me anyway to like extrapolate like, oh my goodness, if they're doing this right now when they're little, what are they going to be doing when they are 13 or 15 or 18? And I'm just wondering how you fight back against fear. You know, what do you tell yourself or what do you try to focus on when it comes to our kids' character and choices um, rather than allowing ourselves to be afraid of what's to come. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you approach that? How do you think about that? I think that's a great question because it, there is some aspect of motherhood that it, it's responsible to plot the trajectory of behavior. I mean, we help them do that. We see that. Here's the problem is that anxiety, when anxiety creeps in instead of right thinking, it's imagining a scenario that's going to happen in the future where God is not going to be present and empowering us in the middle of that situation. Mm -hmm. And so that's not going to be the case. He's not dropping you off today, Lindsay, and going to see in five years when your kid's looking at porn. Um, it's <laughs> not, it, he's not like that. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So each day we are going to walk faithfully with him. We're going to practice his presence with us. We're going to seek him for this kid. And we're going to look at each situation. We're going to deal with it as, as best we can day after day after day being faithful. But we need to understand our kids are free agents. So as much as I would love to say, 
this whole thing turns out and your kids never go, go into a pit. That is not what happened with me. Countercultural parenting opens with a story that happened two months after Brave Moms, Brave Kids was released. When I caught one of my kids looking at something on their phone that they shouldn't have been looking at. And I'm doing the thing for Jesus, you guys. This wasn't the way it was supposed to happen. But my kid is a free agent before the Lord. And on his own, he's going to make his own choices. And so my identity can't be wrapped up inside my kid's behavior. I'm okay if my kids aren't okay. And so you have to establish that first. Like God's not going to drop you off on the curb. He's going to be walking with you through that. If your kid falls off the deep end, he's walking with you through that. We don't want to see that happen. But also keeping in mind that God is walking with your kid in this. So every day, every day, we're just praying, Lord, help him to love you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, and, and we're going to be trusting him that God is going to answer and honor that prayer, that cry of our heart too. And I don't know if that answers your question fully. I mean, I wrote a book about mom fear. So, you know, see brave moms, brave kids. But the, but I think the truth is, is that we need to understand that even if our worst case scenario comes true, there is still God in the middle of it and he will still be good. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. I just wanted to ask, um, have you and your husband always agreed on a game plan for how you handle the spiritual growth of your kids? Or do you have thoughts about um, how to begin this kind of conversation with a spouse if there are moms listening who don't know how to take steps in this direction with their husbands on board? Such a good question. My husband, Mike, has basically been on board from the beginning. He was raised in a Christian home. His parents were great. Um, raised him to follow the Lord. I mean, like basically the way I want to do it is the way they did it. So he got it. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily have that same experience. So for me, it was kind of coming to these conclusions on my own. Mm -hmm. The way that I am parenting is different than the way Mike's family did. And it's different than the way I am. So we need to foster these communi this communication, these conversations with mm -hmm. our husbands. Yeah. Um, and we need to say, here's what I'm aiming for. I think really if we look at the end goal, like we talked about before, mm -hmm. then we're starting to figure out, okay, so what happens? And Emily, you know this, every, every quarter I take a review. My husband and I go on a date night. I have these, this set, same set of 25 questions I try to ask four times a year, quarterly. Mm -hmm. And so these are questions like, what what's going really well with my kid right now? What gifts, talents do I see in them? What physical things do they need to work on right now? What attitudes am I concerned about? Who are their who are their most important relationships? Are there any other adults in their lives that we um, trust to have important conversations? I mean, stuff like that. That just kind of like quarterly review because I'm looking at their progress all the time, and I mm -hmm. I have learned to invite Mike into that. Pro process. When he comes to the same conclusion, when we come to the same conclusion, we both tend to be more proactive in the same direction. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean there aren't arguments and squabbles because Mike is a totally different parent than I am. <laughs> and I actually think that's a good thing. It's yeah. really hard to not undermine our husbands when they're disciplining. But the truth is, is that that's we need to show faith too. 
And as much as possible, I think, reserve the um, disagreements for when our children are not present. Of course. Yeah, I think that's really wise. And I just think that my husband and I do some of this without really talking much about it. Um, Like we really are on the same page. I don't feel like there's discord between us as we go through this, but I just see like my history comes with me, his history comes with him. And there are things that we're still in progress. Like God is healing our hearts from wounds that we carry from our childhood. So um, I feel like it's something I do want to have that conversation, even though I think it's going well. (laughs) Um, And I just really appreciate your tips about that. So um, I'm just curious too, if you have any specific things you would say, especially practical tips, um, as far as the most important aspects involved in spiritual growth at each stage, we've talked kind of big picture vision and, but do you have certain tools that you like using at four, five, six, you know, or that, that elementary school stage? Oh, well, for preschoolers, I I think it's important to remember that they play to figure out the world. Mm -hmm. And so we can speak faith into every aspect of that as they play and as they explore and they try things, you know, like for me, I wanted to own a cake shop when I was little. And I don't really think I wanted to make cakes. I think that was the part of me that wanted to own a business. Mm -hmm. I couldn't put my finger (laughs) on it, but why else would I pretend to order 20 cakes, you know? Um, But, but what, what that does is gives an opportunity for a mom to look into her world and see what God has already put there and is nurturing inside of that child. And so this is a time where moms are invited in to play all the time, you know, and we're Mm -hmm. pushing aside that, pushing aside that. But what if we took those opportunities to play, to talk about love, to role play with our child, what we would say if that situation happened, Mm -hmm. Um, whatever it is that they're working through, we can try to, to speak faith into those times and seize those play moments. And I, I just think that that's a, a really easy thing to do when they're little. And then for me, I love to read. So I was just always looking for good books for them. You know, like I would much rather read to them than play with them. Yeah. And so <laughs> if you Same. can't figure out how to, yeah, thank you, Lindsay. I mean, like <laughs> leg, you can only play so many Legos. Yeah. Well, and I think too, just to say about the play aspect that if we reframe play as something that is, is building their hearts and building their worldview and their understanding of things and is about propelling them towards wholeheartedness, that is a different goal for that kind of time than to entertain them or to keep them occupied and just... I don't know. I love seeing play as a building block in a more intentional way um, for their development. And I think that it's always about seizing the opportunity that each circumstance has presented us. Mm -hmm. But especially when they're little, we are engaging in teaching them how to walk, how to eat. I mean, all their new foods, that kind of thing. So as we can help them engage their imagination, we are never going to imagine God as good as he is. So that just challenges me so much. You know, Mm -hmm. like we get to, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him, right? So we can never out imagine our kids about how great God is. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, like a great question is just to engage their imaginations, you know, right now and, and, and shoot this through a biblical lens. But here's the truth. Like if you could create a color, Mm-hmm. what color would you create? And you know that when we get to heaven, there's going to be so many more colors that we've never experienced in this huge way. So, it, I mean, I think it's just fun. Help them to see this, this relationship with God as something that's pleasurable and fun. We're not just going to church to check boxes or being just religious. We're in the middle of an active relationship with the God of the universe. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think the positive reinforcement too, even when we're trying to teach them about how to be diligent and work hard, that it's not only coming down on them when they haven't done that well, but to celebrate their wins and just really make it like, I really love how mom reacts when I set the table or when I, (laughs) you know, um, because there's a lot of sweet exchange when they have a sense of pride in having done something well, and they will repeat the behavior if they get the kind of feedback they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's so well said. And I just, when we look at elementary school years and you kind of like walk the next step up, mm-hmm. we said that that is a time where they start to accept teaching. And some kids are so much better at that than other kids. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I just really want to focus on in that stage is helping them have a teachable spirit. So always cultivating like active listening with the parents. Who do we listen to? Why do we listen to them? I think that is um, really important. I heard somebody say knowledge should lead to an emotional reaction and that should lead to a behavior change. Mm -hmm. I have no idea who said that, but basically it's knowledge, emotion, behavior. And so in that in that stage, we're saying like, you're, you're growing. I mean, if you think about that, they go to elementary school, all of a sudden their minds explode. They learn how to read. They learn all of these things and then they're going to respond to it. And then once they're responding to it, we should see a different behavior grow out of them, either a negative behavior or a good behavior. And so in elementary school, we always need to say, what are they learning? And what kind of fruit is it producing in them? That's really good. Well, shifting gears a little bit, I know that you also um, have a podcast, um, the Moms in Prayer podcast. And I wanted to talk about prayer a little bit. Kind of two things are coming to mind as you're talking. The first is just how did you teach your kids about prayer? Um, You know, what did that look like in your home? What does it look like? They're not all grown and out of the house yet, I know. And then also, I'm wondering for the mom who just feels totally buried or totally underwater with caring for her kids and caring from, for her home and work or whatever the case may be, what do your own prayer practices look like? Like what, what would you say to their mom? What ideas would you give her for what prayer could look like in that season for her? Oh, well, you already know I'm going to love this topic. <laughs> you know, I was just so, so flabbergasted when I first learned that the majority, and I'm talking like 99% of women feel defeated in the area of prayer. So if that statistic holds, that means almost everybody feels like they're, they're flunking prayer. But prayer is how we communicate with God. So we need to just like fix this. And I think that's what just sent me on this prayer 
pursuit basically is, Lord, you've got to teach me to do this. So I think for any mom, it starts with, Lord, please teach me how to pray. Help me learn to love to pray and um, like cultivate that hunger. I want to want to, you know, like cultivate Mm -hmm. a hunger inside me. Like if it feels like eating lima beans, then Lord, make it look appetizing, right? Mm -hmm. So it starts there, but it also starts there with, Lord, teach me how to teach my kids to pray. And so some of it's just like, prayer happens in a lot of different ways. We most readily recognize it with our hands folded and our eyes closed and our heads bowed. But what if we began to see prayer as a talking to God, a conversation with God that happens while our eyes are open? And sometimes it happens when our eyes are closed. Sometimes it happens when we kneel beside our beds or when we're desperate before him and all we can do is barely lift our heads up from the floor. Sometimes it's like that, but mostly for moms, it's with our eyes wide open and it's happening while we're cooking dinner yeah. and we're, or our kid just said something and we need wisdom and we go, Lord, help me not to just like strangle my child. Right. Now. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we begin to realize that we began to, to gain traction in prayer, prayers all the time. Right. And so it's prayer is when we're praising him. It's when we're telling him who he is and his glory and his power. When we're exploring his names, when we're reading scripture and when we're thinking about him, that's, that's prayer. Confessing when we know we've hurt somebody and we need to say, I'm sorry. We recognize that the greatest thing that happened, the most hurtful thing that happened was that we broke our fellowship with God when mm-hmm. we sin, when we hurt someone else, when we do something. we So confession is prayer. Thanksgiving is prayer. It's when we're thanking God for the good things in our lives, that's prayer. And then there's this interceding portion, which is what most people think about all the time. But that's, this is all modeled. So interceding just means praying for somebody else or praying for ourselves, right? going before God on behalf of someone else. And so when my kids were really little, I prayed over them all the time. I prayed over them when they were in my stomach, you Mm -hmm. know, just like, Lord, would you please help this child to come to know you? Lord, help, help it to grow developmentally, to be okay. You know, those kind of prayers. And then I learned to pray those over the crib at night out loud while that Mm -hmm. baby, while you're tucking that baby into bed, you just say, Lord, I give you this little baby and I just thank you so much for him. I just pray, Lord, that you would help him have a good night's rest, but also you grow in him a heart that's a warrior and strong, you know? And so your kids are going to, to pick up on this as you do it. And then, then we make prayer an intercession fun. Mm -hmm. Then we sit down and go, what did we just hear on the news? I just saw New York City in the news. Do you know where New York City is? And you pull out a map and you look at New York City and you say, what's happening in New York City? And you circle it on a map and you say, who do you think lives there? What do you think they need? Like pull out a bag of M&Ms and say, we're going to pray tonight. And one, you know, like the yellow M&M, it are there even yellow M&Ms? You guys? <laughs> there are yellow. I think, I think there are. <laughs> the yellow M&Ms are going to be things that we're thankful for tonight. And the, and the red M&Ms are going to be the things that, um, that are breaking our heart right now. And um, the green ones are going to be all people, you know? And so, and, and we just, you know, grab a handful of M&Ms. 
I, I've written curriculum about this. So I'm, you know, I'm coming up with a bunch of ideas, but the truth is, is like, use your creativity, but your kids have to learn how to pray. And you do too. This is so important. And you're not failing if it's hard. You're normal if it's hard. But prayer is a muscle that we grow in. Yeah, I have a couple things that just come to mind that work well in my family. Um, you that Our listeners will not be able to see what I'm holding up, but I have a little um, journal that I have one of these for each of my kids. It says Mama's Prayers for Elena on the front. And whenever I have things on my heart, that I want to pray for her. I just write them in there and I will give this to her one day, which I got this idea from Gretchen Ronovic, who was a hope writer that I connected with a couple years ago. Um, and I just, those are really special to me. I also, um, as we have been in the middle of quarantine, COVID-19, stay at home, everything, um, we've kind of started some really lovely family devotional time that we were not doing prior to this season, at least this consistently, because we had things to do, places to go. We were at church together. We were at our homeschool co-op where we had, you know, Bible time together, but we haven't had any of that stuff. So I've been doing that at home with the kids where each of the ones who can read independently have been reading um, a couple passages out loud and we talk about it and we pray together. And then I their assignment for that portion is they do scripture art based on one of the verses that we have read that day. And so I that started out as a really like off the cuff kind of thing. But um, I actually bought some index cards that are the larger size index cards so that they can do their scripture art on the same size card every day. And I started posting them in my room, um, like on the wall, just right next to each other. And they're all of these sweet verses that are lettered with their, you know, messy handwriting and their goofy drawings and their many colors. And it's one of those things that just, it fills my heart in a way that I just did not expect this time to mean so much. And I think it's really fruitful for them. It's definitely fruitful for me. So that inspired my next project that is not together yet, but I am going to be making a prayer wall from index cards where I can put the categories of the things that I want to be remembering to pray for because I feel like that's one of the biggest hurdles is remembering okay like I said I'd pray for this person or this thing has come up or these are the the needs our family has ongoing that I want to remember to pray for and so that's um I've already kind of mapped out the the wall space in my room where that can happen and um that might be a practical next step for somebody who wants to make prayer a priority and I I just love the visual aspect that's obviously a, a high need for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, some ideas. And Lee, you have been so wonderful. I just really appreciate the the wisdom that you have shared with us during this interview. And I'd love for us to know where we can find you online and um, just anything else you want to tell us about your awesome new book. I'm so excited to read it. We, you guys, this is so fun. I would, I would have this conversation every day. Mm-hmm. Um, motherhood is the greatest gift. And it is the thing that I think is the most useful in changing who we are to make us less selfish, to make us more like us to be. I mean, just motherhood is countercultural in general. To care mm-hmm. about someone this much is countercultural. So mm-hmm. well done. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody wants to find me, I'm at leaning heist, which is impossible to spell. So you can go to counterculturalparenting.com <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm there. And I just, I, I think this will be helpful to your listeners too. 
I created a character quiz for your children that you can take on behalf of a child. So, you know, sign up my son Ryan on there. And it's it's 25 questions asking like, how is his character in five different areas and where do you start? And so it's just going to give you one area to start on, mm-hmm. to think about. And I think that's this, you talked about this time of COVID and quarantine and this weird season that we're in. But sometimes when you're like, oh my gosh, I have such a big job. I, I don't even know where to begin. Sometimes just the first step is good. And so you can find that on Countercultural Parenting. Com, and then just an email series will come to you after that talking about like, okay, so I found these things out. Now, what do I do? And I, I'm just hoping that that serves um, mm-hmm. our audience really, really well, because we don't need to be overwhelmed. I don't think that God intends us to be overwhelmed by our circumstances, only him, mm-hmm. you know, and completely captivated by him. Yeah, I think that's so wonderful. And I will grab those details and put them in our show notes for this episode so they're easy to find. And we thank you so, so much for being with us today. Oh, I just have loved it, you guys. Thanks for having me.